it's Dr. Gala, and this is another episode of Let's Talk Toxins. So if you've been following along on any of my social channels, you may know that I just returned from a month-long sabbatical in Europe. And I found it really fascinating because generally speaking, we know we look around here in the United States and... Um, being overweight has become an epidemic. I'm not um, the first to report this. You can see it um, everywhere you look, including in the news. And so um, I found it really fascinating traveling through Europe, how, what a low percentage Europeans generally have of being overweight period, much less really obese. And so my husband and I started poking at this a bit, and um, we typically eat mostly gluten-free here in the United States. Um, I focus primarily on minimizing yeast because that's a big problem for me, but he tries to really eat uh, as much as close to 100% gluten-free as he can. And so when we were traveling, being away from home, and having you know major challenges, just trying to find things that we like to eat that um, were readily available. We found ourselves eating more and more bread and pasta and um, foods that in the United States we just would steer away from almost a hundred percent. And so, in um, our concern, we started poking a little bit and and came up with some interesting information that I think dovetails in with some of the other things I talk about related to restricting certain types of foods and food substances in our diet. So um, this is not the first time, most likely you've heard me talk about the ill effects of gluten. And if you've got any sort of, um, uh, bowel disease, gluten is something you probably shy away from, but, um, but many people have issues with gluten and may not even realize that that's causing the problem. Um, in my book, What's Your Kryptonite, I shared a um, story of how um, a young man was having issues with his esophageal tract and swallowing and um, and how that's often linked back to food sensitivities, particularly gluten. And so um, so it was interesting because wheat is everywhere. Um, I was hiking across Spain and um, and walked through many, many, many miles of wheat fields. and um, and they're beautiful and just, you know, kind of got me thinking like the Europeans eat so much um, wheat that you would think if wheat was really the problem that they would have the similar kind of issues that we have. And so there were some observations that I made. One in particular, I think they eat way less processed food. Um, you just don't see Europeans eating things out of boxes regularly like you see here in the United States. 
in Europe, there isn't a grocery store on every corner with aisles and aisles filled with things in boxes. <laughs> it's just not done that way. Um, if you buy food, you typically buy real food and it's actually turned into a meal. And so uh, if you take gluten, for example, the way wheat is grown and the type of wheat that's grown in Europe is different than the wheat that we grow here primarily in the United States. And it's got more protein content, which is kind of a part of the wheat that really um, irritates our digestive tract. But more importantly, glyphosate, which is one of the um, components, pesticides found in uh, Roundup, the um, chemicals found in Roundup, Glyphosate is regularly used to spray our wheat as it's being harvested so that it's um, more shelf stable to get it wherever it needs to go to be sellable. And in Europe, they have realized that, um, that that is not a chemical that is conducive to health, um, human health. And so, so between the additional gluten in the wheat and the glyphosate, it's understandable that gluten or wheat in the um, United States is much worse for our health than the wheat that we would consume regularly in Europe. It was interesting as I was um, putting some research together to bring this to you, um, I did see that um, Europe, in some places has tried to commercialize wheat production a little more. And in doing that, they tend to lean more towards some of the practices in the US. And I noticed that if I would eat something that um, was uh, consumed in a place where maybe they were not having the highest quality of ingredients, the thing, what, whatever it was I was consuming was not maybe prepared locally. Um, I did notice that I had um, a little bit of that sensation that I feel in the United States when I consume gluteny substances. Um, so it made me wonder if that particular thing was made with a flour that the um, ingredients were not um, as local as you might want them to be to have really improved um, results in our digestive system and for our health. So, so it's um, kind of interesting when you think about um, how much food sensitivity we have in the United States and how that contributes to our um, overall health, but in particular, as I started this episode, um, our um, issues with weight and fat accumulation in particular. And, and so um, another one of the big things that we tend to find 
um, as an issue for a lot of people in the United States is dairy. And, and so I wondered about the dairy in Europe and whether I would have similar issues with dairy that I do here in the United States. And I will say that um, I expected to not have issues with the dairy, but I actually found that I did have similar issues with dairy that I do here in the United States. And, um, and so uh, what I have noticed over the years is that um, what started out as just a sensitivity to cow's milk dairy now has gone beyond that to goat's milk dairy. I can still um, tolerate sheep's milk dairy um, somewhat, but um, things like ice cream and, um, and really like heavy duty dairy forward um, uh, foods, uh, substances just are pretty much off limits for me. And so I don't know if you have found a similar sort of thing, but I know that I regularly through my biofield scanning process have to recommend to patients that they eliminate dairy and they quickly find that they have positive results from that. And it's not your favorite thing to do. I mean, um, who doesn't love ice cream <laughs> in Europe? I love the stracciatel gelato. And, uh, and so, you know, I could maybe have a little bit of it, but I had to be really careful because it, um, it, like I said, it has similar sort of reaction for me. Um, but even things, you know, like adding cheese to things or, um, soups or uh, sauces that are very cream based or um, or uh, certainly sour cream or anything like that. All of those um, hardcore, as I call them, dairy substances are just better avoided for almost everyone. Um, a lot of young people find that they have dairy sensitivity and, um, and parents after really struggling with all kinds of skin issues and sinus issues and digestive issues, finally, um, somebody tells them to take the child off of dairy and everything clears up. So, uh, so I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think really for those of us um, who are in the United States and are not able to eat farm to table, you know, if you are uh, producing your own dairy on the farm with grass fed animals, you might have a different experience. But, um, but for those of us who are eating uh, food that we have little control over uh, the source, we have to just make sure that we're using organic products as much as possible, because that will ensure, hopefully, that uh, glyphosate has not been used um, or any sort of um, chemical-based pesticide. And, um, and then, you know, some things are just um, a better avoided, even if we can get an organic version of it. So um, these are a couple of the really big 
food sensitivity issues that I regularly find when I'm working with patients. Um, there are a number of other food substances that I, um, that I find some patients need to avoid, not all. And so um, those um, additional substances and sometimes even vegetables um, that um, we like to think, well, gosh, like how could a vegetable be bad for you? But, um, but some people have sensitivities to certain kinds of vegetables, or it could be that the vegetable has come through our um, commercialized farming process and the vegetables are picked before they're ripe and they're artificially ripened. And in that artificial ripening process um, are just not made naturally healthy for our human digestive system. And so um, there's a lot of different ways that food can um, essentially be the source of toxic stress for us. And since food is one of those main raw building blocks that our body uses to produce metabolic energy, it's really important that we understand um, how that thing we're consuming is either supporting the energy production process or actually uh, further clogging the filters, making it harder for our bodies to produce energy. So, um, so that really high quality fuel is so important and, um, and just, you know, best if we can consume plenty of lean proteins as high quality as you can get your hands on. And, um, and then, you know, um, vegetables and um, particularly those vegetables that don't have big seeds in them, um, or if they do have big seeds, try to make sure you remove those seeds. The seeds tend to be what causes our digestive system um, the uh, most grief. So, um, so let me know, give me some feedback on this episode and let me know what foods you have found that your body um, just kind of doesn't agree with. And, um, and have you tried eliminating certain things? I'm very careful um, in recommending patients eliminate foods because we don't want to eliminate something we don't have to. Our um, microbiome, our gut health is much better when we have diversity. And so the more variety of foods we can eat, the healthier our gut will be. And so I don't take it lightly when I recommend that people um, eliminate certain foods, but there are just certain things that really don't do us any favors. And if we can eliminate those things, um, we're most likely going to be better off for it. So, um, so again, let me know what you have found with food sensitivities and, um, and, uh, look forward to hearing from you. And this has been another episode of let's talk toxins.